Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and joining me for his third appearance on this bonus episode of the podcast He's made pretty much all of my and your favorite comedies. Welcome back to the show, Judd Apatow. Happy to be here. It's good to have you back. How you doing? You look very nice. I don't know. I think I look great, right? Don't I look good? Happy birthday. Uh, it's, it's just, we're talking just the day after your birthday. That's right. Did you did you celebrate with Adam Sandler on tour or, or what's going on? I'm on tour. I'm uh, in San Antonio tonight doing a show and then... Uh, Headed back, but I've been out for a week with him, which has been great. The crowds have been incredible. It's just so fun. You know, we've known each other for so long. So to, so to see Adam perform in these big arenas and to do a, a little time before, it, it's it's a really magical, a full circle, a fun event. Do you do you spend any time on stage with him? Do you guys collaborate at all during these shows? There's a little thing that we do <laughs> in the show. That I don't know if, if described would really make much sense, but right. uh, yeah, you have to you have uh, to be there. You have you have to be there. Some things you, you just want to spare the audience the description <laughs> of them. <laughs> so you've been here, as I said, uh, two times before. We talked about the uh, Gary Shandling documentary, which was uh, came in at just over four hours. And the George Carlin documentary, which came in just under under four hours. Now we're here to talk about Bob and Donna Love Story, which is just twenty minutes. I mean, this is by far your shortest film, right? How did how did you how did you restrain yourself? Uh, I've changed. I've, all my movies are going to be shorts now, <laughs> it, it, no matter the genre. Well, yeah, I, this changed you. I got a call from Bob Newhart, and he said I'd love to do something about my friend Don Rickles. I don't want people to forget about him. So maybe we could make something about our, our friendship and his work. And I had to say yes, because Bob Newhart and Don Rickles, I mean, they're some of the big reasons I went into comedy. Certainly when I was a kid, I would watch the Bob Newhart show every day for years. When I look back, years of watching that show every single day. And I had met him a few times, and he's always very sweet. So I thought that would be a fun thing to do. So we started shooting. I didn't really know what would happen with it. I just shot it with my own money just to explore it. And then at some point when we started editing it together, me and my uh, partner, uh, Michael Bonfiglio, who directed it with me, we realized that there was something really sweet about it, that Bob is so kind, but he, he also misses his friend and there's something heartbreaking and, and uh, melancholy about it. And we just decided to just lean into the truth of what it was, which is it's wonderful to have a friend for most of your life. It's very sad when they're not around. And this desire he has for people to remember Don. And, you know, we all do because we're in comedy. So I think all comedy people every once in a while go to YouTube and go watch some Don Rickles clips. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice to remind the world how riotously funny he was. 
Hey, that's what I do, my friends. I laugh at people. I laugh at blacks, whites, purples. I laugh at all, my whole humor. I came this far in America, why? Because I laugh at what the heck we are. That's what we have to laugh at. You're a black man, right? I took a guess. Yeah, one of the big themes of the film is how they were such close friends, but their comedic styles were so different in a lot of ways. Do you do you see it that way? Or after sort of doing this, having this experience of really looking at their work, do you find that they had more in common than maybe people thought? Or were they really that different? Well, on stage, you know, Bob Newhart was somebody who was very meticulous. He he follows in the tradition of people like Bob and Ray. And, you know, his story is so interesting because he was an accountant and he wrote all these sketches and he had a friend who worked at a radio station and then he, they let him record the sketches and he got a record deal out of it. And then he had to perform them in front of an audience, but he'd never performed in front of an audience before. And when he recorded the album, I think he'd only performed in front of an audience for a couple of months total. That's so crazy. And it became one of the highest selling records of all time. He beat Sinatra for best album of the year. I mean, his thing really exploded. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine now. Uh, yeah. And But it was very written. Where Don, as described by Bob, seems like someone who just has attention issues, jumps on stage. He has the things he does every night. But in terms of riffing and making fun of the crowd and insulting people, it's just pure in-the-moment madness. He would, Bob said that if he thought of something really funny off the top of his head, he would never remember it, ever. And if you, and if you <laughs> told him, oh my God, that thing you said to that guy, he wouldn't write it down and remember it. That's not what it was to Bob. He had kind of a set act for most of his career and then sections where he would just play with the crowd and whatever happened, happened. He was just... In the moment, and that's the opposite of Bob. But in real life, uh, I think Bob has a vicious sense of humor. He is funny and cutting, and he will insult you, and he loves to brag about how you know, he was more successful than Don in television, and that's just the way that he has always had his relationship be with Don. It's funny, yeah, they do kind of, they do roast each other a little bit, you know, both in their in their friendship, and we see a little bit of that, but they, Newhart's son speculates that they were able to be as close as they were because they weren't competing with each other, that they didn't feel like they were in competition. Do you, did you get that feeling? Did you, do you feel like that was true? Yeah, it didn't feel like that way at all, even though they gave each other a hard time about it, because Bob would always say, you know, Don was in the, uh, a small room downstairs uh, doing the lounge, yeah, yeah. and I was in the big room. Don is, uh, is my, best, my best friend, which just gives you some idea of the difficulty I have in making friends. <laughs> but Don has not done that well in television. Uh, he's had four series now. Uh, the last one, a couple of Dons, received a minus four Nielsen rating. This means not there's no one watching, but several people without TV sets had heard about the show and said if they got one, they wouldn't watch it. So I think they insulted each other about it, but, you know, Bob worked really hard on all these sitcoms forever, and Don was a gigantic Vegas act uh, who never could get a sitcom going. And so they both had their worlds where Don really was like the king of Vegas comedy and, and traveled the world. And, and Bob was like one of the greats of TV of all time. He had the Newhart, the Bob Newhart show and Newhart. I mean, to have two shows which were gigantic for like 
eight, nine years each in a lifetime is pretty remarkable. Do you remember the the first time you met Don Rickles? Did you have an experience of, of getting sort of made fun of by him or, or anything like that? Well, the first time I interacted with him, I was 11 years old and I went to see him at the Westbury <laughs> Music Fair and there were two seats empty in the front row. And so me and my brother snuck down and sat there and then he just ripped on us here really? and there throughout the show for having no parents. <laughs> he just kept talking about the kids with no parents, uh, you know, that we were Were neglected. you happy about that to be, to be uh, targeted by him? Oh, yeah, that, that was great. And I, and I went to see him a lot through my life and would go see his headline sets. Newhart, I had only seen do stand-up live. I did a benefit for 826 in L.A., which it provides you know free tutoring and literacy programs for kids. So we, we would do these weird variety shows. And one year, the, the lineup was Pee Wee Herman, Bob Newhart, Colin Quinn, Ray Romano, John Bryan, and Rizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And, and Bob went up. You know, he's nervous before, as if he hasn't been doing it for 65 years, and then just tears the house down, as if it, he wrote the whole act. I mean, it all really held up, even the, the old routine. So I was glad I got to see him at the top of his uh, game performing. Did you feel growing up like you were more of a, a Newhart or a Rickles guy, or you were kind of happy in both camps i mean i would love to be either of them uh because the raucousness of rickles and the ability to just go off on people seems like the most fun ever if you can define your thing as allowing that right uh and newhart as just the funniest creator of these one-man sketches uh, and and really one of the most the, the the most popular and most hilarious sitcom actors of all time. If you go back and watch those shows, him with those slow burns and his slow talking and his you know the a pace that's all his own and his reactive comedy. But he also seemed pissed underneath it. Every once in a while, you could tell that most of it was about him being annoyed with everybody. So you know, obviously to have either of their careers would be a, a dream. I mean, I remember he went on one of the last Tonight Shows, Don Rickles, and he was so rough on Carson. I remember there was a look in Carson's eyes like, this hurts. It wasn't, <laughs> like, I love Don, because Don kept going, uh, Johnny, good thing you quit while you're on top. And, <laughs> and he'd roll his eyes, and yeah, he's like... he hit a little too hard. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep kissing uh, Ed's ass, because he's still got the Star Search show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do wonder whether Rickles' style of roast comedy has kind of fallen out of fashion at all. It's something I was just talking about with Whitney Cummings, because she was kind of trying. She's been trying to bring the roasts back um, on this new platform after it seems like Comedy Central maybe has decided they don't want to do them anymore. And been a while. Um, do you think that it's sort of uh, people have less of an appetite for roasting than they used to? It's always hard to know because the people that don't like it, how big a majority of, of people are they? And so if there's a, a certain minority that's like, I'm offended by all of this, does it go away because of that? Do all the people who love that type of humor find a way to still enjoy it? Uh, obviously, you know, we all love Jeff Ross's roasts and his work, and he kept that alive for a long time. And I, I think out there in the world, in the clubs, they still are doing a lot of roast battles, and it, it, it's still a vibrant thing. But, you know, it's taste. Like, for me, as a kid, nothing was funnier. I, I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. And it always felt like he's getting everybody. And as long as he gets everybody, it's okay. It's not like he's attacking this kind of person, but not that kind of person. 
that some people feel like it's all hurtful, <laughs> don't do it. Uh, so it, it, it's hard to know uh, what the world would make of him if he arrived on the scene right now. Right, yeah, he kind of got out before he could be canceled or have to deal with any of this stuff that has become such a big talking point in comedy. But every time I've been to roasts and watched roast battles, uh, I was in Montreal when they did tapings there. The crowd couldn't love it more. So uh, it's because it's like a, it's a license to say whatever you want and sort of a, a safe space to use the word differently to, uh, to <laughs> yeah to you know go as hard as you as you want to go and and everyone kind of goes in accepting that those are the rules of the game. Yes. So, you know, as an audience member, personally, I enjoy it. I couldn't do it because I don't have, I, I'm too thin-skinned. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to be near a place where people might roast me. I got asked to host one of those roasts on Comedy Central, and I said oh, no. Because really? I said, I don't, I don't want to know what the joke is on me. As soon as which I find one, out, which, I'll be uh, devastated. Which person were you going to roast? Was that uh, Franco? or? Uh, yes, yes. And I, I did not want to know what 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 cruel things could be said about me. I'm sure it's I'm an easy mark. You you enjoy watching, but you don't want to be the target. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm wondering for you if it's if it's inspiring to make this movie and see you know people like Bob Newhart and you know Mel Brooks and until this past week Norman Lear, you know, working, staying funny into their uh, you know 80s, 90s in Norman Lear's case up to to 101. I mean, how have you been been thinking about that generation, um, you know, especially this week with with the loss of Norman? Well, Norman was a good friend and, you know, I used to visit him a lot. And earlier this year in January, I went over to his house and had an afternoon hangout with him, Dick Van Dyke and Mel Brooks. And it was remarkable how sharp they all were, how funny, how delighted they were in being funny and making each other laugh. And, you know, they had stories about their time in World War II. And they talked about that for a long time and all their different experiences and all of the different eras. And I think the key is they, they just love it. That part of them never disappears. And they were also people, and you know, Dick and uh, Mel still are who, are, who are just up on everything. They're just very current and vital people. And Norman was to the very end. None of them you know, checked out and went to an island and decided not to do more stuff. They, you know, they... They go out, they do shows. I know they're about to do, shoot a tribute to Dick Van Dyke for one of the networks. I got to interview Mel Brooks for The Atlantic earlier this year about his reflections uh, about life and the world. So that's something I look up to. People who can be great at their job well into their 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, when you see, you know, The Who and The Rolling Stones, and, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, how is this even possible? Uh, that they could still be this strong and put out a new record that's great. Uh, that, to me, is the goal. Yeah, I mean, the, the the Rolling Stones thing and those guys, I mean, what they're doing is kind of insane. But comedy, at least, does seem like the kind of thing that you can just keep doing for as long as, you, as you're alive. You could keep doing it. Well, Norman always said, I feel like I'm the age of the person I'm with. And I thought that was a really beautiful idea. You know, he's if I... Yeah, he kind of, he doesn't, he didn't see himself as 101, I'm sure. No, not at all. And talk like someone who just enjoyed staying in it. He, he was still producing in the middle of tons of projects. The last five or six years, he got so many things made. All of those uh, 
restagings of his television shows that he, he did with Jimmy Kimmel were all so funny. If your job is to make the world happy, why would you want to stop? Were there specific, you know, Norman Lear shows or, or projects or things that you feel like really influenced your work or, or something you just, things you thought about a lot while you were making films or, or anything else? I was born in 67, so everything he did was my entire childhood. It just lined up exactly with my youth. So, you know, when I was six or seven years old, I started watching All in the Family. Uh, and, you know, Norman Lear and Larry Gelbart and James Brooks, those are the people who made most of the work I was watching uh, as a kid. And, you know, watching All in the Family every week, when you're little, when you're in elementary and middle school and high school, uh, programs you for a certain type of morality and ethics even though you're not watching it for that. And as a kid, you don't even know that's what the show is. You just think it's about a show with this cranky guy and his son-in-law and they debate the issues. You're not intellectualizing it. You're not thinking this is medicine anyway. You just think this is hysterical. But later on in life, you pay attention to what it meant and what it told you and how it was really about you know, compassion and growing and you know, a way to look at how you should be as a person in the world with other people. And so I, I look at, like, everything I do in some way has been influenced by that. I try to tell stories about people who screw up and learn lessons, and that's what I think comedy is. It's, it's making terrible mistakes and hopefully coming out of it a slightly better person. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, there, were, there was the what Gerard Carmichael was trying to do with his show maybe as the last example, but I feel like now you don't see people disagreeing in a friendly way about political issues on TV in the same way, right? I, I, it is rare. I think South Park probably has taken that mantle. In a, in, a, in a sort of different way, but yeah. Yeah, in their way, where they can talk about anything and go really hard and get to a point. And, but yes, there's not a lot of that. I think that there's something about how entertainment works where people are afraid of that. They're afraid of political comedy. Uh, they're afraid of characters who maybe make mistakes that are that big. Uh, so it could happen again, though. You never know. The, out of the blue, someone could crack a way to do it, and it could be a, a big hit. Obviously, someone should talk about polarization. This is completely unrelated, but I just started rewatching Girls from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it when it was first on, but it's really blowing me away the second time um, and really seeing it from a new perspective. And I realized that I think I was right around their age when I watched it the first time. And now I'm a lot closer to your <laughs> the age that you were when you were working on it with them. So I'm not even sure what my question is, but uh, what, what was it like sort of being that age and, and working on that show? And how do you think about it now? Well, I'm really glad that people are watching it now. I feel like it's maybe more popular now than it ever was that people are watching it on Max, and you have young people discovering it, and you have older people watching it again. And I, I always thought that there was all sorts of things that people talked about around the show, but for me, I thought the show was really funny, and Lena and the cast were hilarious. So I feel like people are noticing that in their second watches. Maybe like the original, it was all focused on the 
the cringiness of it or something. And now people are sort of seeing how funny it was. Yeah. And also, you know, what it was talking about at the time, Lena was very aware of, which was these entitled girls in New York who really thought the world was owed to them. Like that was the joke. And then when it aired, there were definitely people or critics, I guess at some point didn't understand that Lena had created the joke of the show. And so now that we look <laughs> at what the culture is like, I feel like Lena was talking about all of this a really long time ago. And that's what she found funny, is uh, that it wasn't like um, a, a Sex in the City version of New York, that it like kind of, for them, sucked. <laughs> you know, like yeah. their jobs were <laughs> terrible and their relationships were scary and weird and creepy and their friendships really aren't going well and... You know, that show, if you look at it now, part of it is almost about the dissolution of a friend group. By the and end, that's yeah. A, that's what, you know, uh, Jenny Connor, uh, who ran the show with Lena, uh, they, they all found so fun was that by the end, they most of them had really turned on each other. <laughs> and we would sit around and just go, oh, my God, it's so funny that Shoshana hates them so much and uh well that's what made it so much more realistic in some ways right it's like you don't stay best friends with your same four people for your entire 20s yeah and so it's it's so fun that people are watching it i mean that tv in some ways has gotten a little tamer and more concerned with offending people and it might be one of the shows that was allowed to do a lot of stuff that you couldn't do now. And I think that's why people like watching it because you don't feel like the show has the handcuffs on. And and that's a fun part uh, about it. And then you can get deeper into all these sociological issues. A lot of people are like, you could never make friends now, but it's that's the wrong take. Maybe it's, the, you could never make girls now. Yeah, I mean, I wish you could, and I hope that I'll be proven wrong. Uh, but but definitely Lena and Jenny got a lot of freedom to express themselves in a really wonderful way. The people that ran HBO loved the show and just encouraged them to take it really far and experiment. And I feel like the last season was really strong and it ended in a really cool, cool way. So for me, it's all fond, fond memories. But what's weird about streaming is to most people, it's brand new. You know, people watch it like it just was made yesterday. So I have to adjust my head for that. Like, oh, it, 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 time is like stacking with streaming. You know, people watch uh, Freaks and Geeks like it's new. They don't watch it like it, like I used to watch The Honeymooners. Yeah, yeah. It's just a show they haven't seen yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they both hold up. So before we go, can you can you share uh, any any joke or anything that you're doing on stage right now that you're that uh, that you're happy with or that that would um, <laughs> has been going well. Oh, I've been yeah. listing on stage reasons to quit doing stand up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I just list all the reasons. You know, one is all my references are from the 1900s. <laughs> That's how you know when you should stop. <laughs> you know, you don't know who Doja Cat is. Uh, you, you become that guy, the guy that doesn't know what the kids are up to. And it makes you feel like, you know, like all your jokes suddenly become about decay. You know, when you get older, you're like, don't you hate it when you're always afraid of falling? Like that's when you should stop doing stand-up. When most of your jokes are about ailments. Don't you hate diverticulitis? Uh, that's, that, so I, I, I feel that call to stop. But I am very proud that we have a movie I produced out called uh, 
Please Don't Destroy, The Legend of Foggy Mountain. Yes, yes. With the Please, Please Don't Destroy Boys from Saturday Night Live, which is on Peacock. And I'm really proud of that. It's hilarious. So if you don't have Peacock, you can sign up. I think it only costs a dollar, Peacock, right? It's like a dollar. Yeah, or, or it's free if you have certain, I don't know. Some, it's hard to know how all these things work, but. It's free if you just want a lot of ads. There is a way to yeah, see the movie. Exactly. Yeah. But it's really funny. Conan O'Brien. Uh, yeah, you got Conan really to act. That it. was a uh, that's a feat in itself, right? That's right. And, and then we were like, "How come he hasn't acted before? Because he's so good. What a waste of of this talent." Maybe this will be the start of a new career. Yes, I hope. Um, well, Judd, thank you so much as always, um, and I, I really adored the the short film. It's it's really wonderful, and I hope everyone gets a chance to see it. All right, thank you. Thanks again to Judd Apatow for coming back on this podcast for a third time. Please do take 20 minutes to check out Bob and Don, A Love Story, which is available to stream on the New Yorker's website, and we'll include a link to it in the description for this podcast as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on threads at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram and threads, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.